1: When you hear that tune, you know you've wandered into the steam room. And we're glad you did. Welcome, loyal steamers. The show is presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA, and it features the inimitable Charles Barkley. Ooh, I like that. I'm Ernie Johnson. Although, maybe you are imitatable, because we heard the Sports Talk show host Danny Ruia from Washington, D.C., do a very spot on impression of you over the last couple of days.
2: This is the first half analysis. The half of basketball was played. That's not the whole game. That's half the game. Damon Lillard, he did a step back, but he stepped forward and then he moved back. He went back about 25 feet. That's probably that travel, but they're not going to call it. Michael uh, Jr. Porter, he made a bunch of shots. Nicola Yoka, uh, Joe Kitch, Joe Kitchy. He made he he's tall, and nikola Jurkic or jo- J- Jimmy Joe Jurkic uh didn't found nobody that was something that's a good half of basketball between Portland and Cleveland back to you ernie that I really that was <laughs> hilarious I got to tell you a funny story. I got a call from a a celebrity I'm not gonna mention their name like probably ten years ago, and they wanted me to join a lawsuit because they wanted to stop this comedian from imitating them. He says, it's disgusting that he imitates us. We should file a lawsuit. And I'm like, yo, man, I think it's flattering and funny. And I, 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 first of all, he does you really, really good. I don't want to embarrass the celebrity. But I said, yo, man, I think so many people take themselves way too seriously. I mean, that was like one of the funnier things we've done on the show. And I'm glad we gave little Mr. Rudier some love, because he's a very talented man. but. Uh, That always made me laugh when people take, like, can't joke at themselves.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So uh, if you're a first-time listener, first question is, where the heck have you been? But if you're a loyal steamer, you know how we start every one of these episodes, and that's with Charles' favorite phrase, which would be, first of all...
2: Yeah, I got a lot today, Ernie. I got a lot today. Yeah, I do. Um, Well, start unpacking it, man. Okay, so I'm going to start out with Naomi Osaka. You know, I just want to wish her the best. She's won four Grand Slams. She's like 22, 23 years old. And people think she's the happiest person in the world. And she's not. And I, I we want this, this podcast to be so good. We want to make it funny most of the time. But sometimes we have to talk about serious stuff. So, man, anybody out there, please ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you uh, a bad person. Just please go talk to somebody because, hey, we all go to stuff. So I just want to give a shout out to Naomi Osaka and say, hey, girl, we are all pulling for you. And we're proud of you for going and get some help.
1: In her case, too. I mean, that's, you know, this all came to light because she uh, had told those event organizers that she wasn't, you know, she didn't want to do media. and. look, this is, if, if you've got something, you know, where that doesn't sit well with you and it, and, and it really is that you really have an issue with this and not one of these things are, Oh, look, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to talk to the media. This is like, that puts her in a real bad spot, you know? Yes. And, and so it, look, it, they're athletes, but it doesn't mean that public speaking is something they enjoy. It doesn't mean that it's, oh Oh yeah, I'm out there. And, you know, there are certain people for whom that is a real issue. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, there's gotta be some understanding there. And it, and it's, you know, it's not like one of these things where, Oh, I just don't feel like talking today. You know, because yeah. you see that every now in different, in different sports where somebody, you know, you're supposed to be there for a media availability and just blows it off. Cause they don't feel like doing it. Yeah. This is something where when she's asked to do that puts her in a really, really bad place mentally. And so uh, yeah, I hope she's able to see her way through this. I know she she withdrew from another tournament uh, prior to Wimbledon coming up, and um, yeah, just we just beg for some understanding that yeah. hey, look, you may have a lot of money and you may have a lot of fame, but it doesn't mean that you, as you put it, that you you don't have problems.
2: Yeah, hey, and I want. to, uh, Secondly, uh, I'm a i am i want to give a shout out to Coach K. We become casual friends over the last few years. Uh, I do his podcasts at least a couple times a year. Uh, he's always been great to me. And I just want to say, Coach K, thanks for an amazing career. Thanks for being a terrific person. Uh, you have represented Duke with class and dignity. And it's just, uh, it's been fun watching you from a distance. Like, I, I got to know you on the first Dream Team. Uh, and I was terrified to walk up to you. And you walked up to me and said Hello. Uh, because we were in the gym together one day. <laughs> and I was like, man, there's Coach K. There's Coach K. And like I said, you never know how celebrities, if they want to be bothered or not. But he came over, and we've been, uh, I'd say, casual good friends. Uh, and I, I just wanted to say, hey, Coach, thanks for an unbelievable ride. His
1: legacy will be what, Chuck? Will it be uh, you know a guy who had great success and did it the right
2: way? Um, uh, what, what would it be? Well, you talk about sports. There's a Mount Rushmore uh, in every sport. Uh, He's on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. You know, and I can't compare him to John Wooden because I don't know anything about John Wooden other than all the things he accomplished. But I think during my lifetime, uh, he, he is the greatest college basketball coach ever. And one thing I admire about him is I think he's won four Olympic gold medals. Uh, as a head coach of the Olympic team, the ability to deal with the pain in the ass NBA players year after year after year, that tells me he's able to adapt.
1: You know, Chuck, that's a great point because I've thought about that too. I said, you know, you go from wh- when you show an ability to handle kids, yes, you know, at the, in, who don't know anything, you know, And I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just saying, you know, really in the big picture, when you're 18, 19, you don't know anything and he handles them. And then he goes up and then he handles guys who know everything.
2: Yeah. You know, he's, he's been able to, he's been able to navigate that seamlessly. Yeah. And that's one thing that I admire about him. So coach K, thank you. Uh, Hey, I want to mention this kid named Stan. I, I got him in my phone on the Stan bike because Stan sold me my bike. And he uh, he worked in Philadelphia. I spent a lot of time with him during the summer. We would go out drinking beers a couple of days a week. And anytime I had any issue with my bike, I'd call Stan. He said, hey, bring it down to the shop. Bring it down to the shop. And people knew we were really good friends. I had people calling me who I didn't even know saying, hey, man, I got really bad news. And I'm like, what's going on? So Stan Got hit on his bike the other day, Ernie, oh. on his head-on collision and got killed over the weekend. Oh, man. Man, Ernie, this dude was just the nicest kid. He probably was 40 years old. I shouldn't get, I shouldn't be calling him a kid. But, man, I, I he, and he was the biggest 7 to 6 fan in the world. This dude would text me, what do you think? What do you think? I said, Stan, I don't know, man. I I got to worry about Fred Simmons' free-throw shooting. I got to worry about Joel's health. And, like, Stan, I don't even know a lot about his family, but I just, man, when you meet really nice people in life who had an effect upon you, you should always make sure you tell them what they mean to you. And I'm never going to get to tell Stan again what a great friend he was, but I want people in Philadelphia and the people who watch the steam room, man. Stan, you're going to be missed.
1: Mm. Mm. That's a crusher right there shark
2: oh dude it, it broke my heart, Stan you're gonna be missed brother. I love you
1: should we uh let's should we pause here on the steam room take a break and then come back
2: yeah, let's get to some guests
1: we will uh take a break here on the steam room when we come back, special guest nearing the end of a, a legendary career
2: legendary career legendary career.
3: G. Miller in an animated discussion with Spike Lee. I don't think that Spike realizes he's not in the game. Here comes McGrady, no turnbounds for McGrady for the win. Yeah! Yes. The on Cage. two on one. Here's McGinnis with a high dribble. With oh! James! It's oh. a foul. McInnis Buret has won at the buzzer.
1: If you need to be told who that was, then you're probably tuned to the wrong podcast. The unmistakable voice of Marv Albert, who joins us in the steam room. And this guest segment is presented by Microsoft Teams. Where there's a team, there's a way. Marv Albert, his career drawing to a close at the end of these playoffs. Man, it's just wonderful, Marv, to have you with us today. We've heard so many of those calls and uh, are happy uh, and honored to call you a teammate. how How is it going here on this last go-around, man?
3: First of all, great to be with you and Charles in the Steam Room. I have enjoyed getting at least into the arena because we have been doing it virtually for many, many weeks. Being able to see live players, live fans, seeing the game in person has been quite a kick. I don't know how I'll feel when I I know my last games will be the Eastern conference finals. I, I I think it will be kind of a surreal feeling that I know that unless I go back to my days as a kid, doing games off the TV set and putting the sound (laughs) down with a crowd record and doing it myself, maybe I'll bring my brothers out on Steve in also because they did it with me as did my son, Kenny. Uh, He started to do that, but uh, it, you know, you got to let go. I thought 55 years of doing NBA broadcasting, which many games involve uh, Charles, I should say. It's the right time. But uh, it gives me and my wife Heather and our our two pugs a chance to spend more time together. So I, <laughs> I look forward to that aspect of it.
2: No doubt. You know, uh, Marv, I was telling this story the other night. You know, when you're growing up and you watch, start watching NBA basketball and – for years, I never had the opportunity to meet you when, when I met you. I called all my friends. I says, Marv Abba knows who I am. It was one of the coolest things uh, in my life, the first time I got an opportunity to meet you, because I, I watched you from a distance for so long. When you said hello to me, I told all my friends. It was the same way when I met Jack Nicholson. I was checking into a game, and Jack Nicholson, Charles, welcome, young fellow. Welcome to the NBA. The same thing with Denzel Washington. So, man, you are, you're a living legend.
3: That's very kind, Charles. I don't. I don't know if I put myself with this, with Denzel and and Jack, but uh, that's that's awfully nice of you.
2: You know, we, when we play some of your stuff, you've been at some of the most iconic events, not just in basketball in sports history. You know, when you call the Knicks championship number one, I know you couldn't think like, "Wow, they've never gonna win another one in my lifetime." <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that, that's it was it's actually got to be like. Two.
3: Was two of them,
2: and so and you like now we got X amount of years later they still haven't won a championship. What was the best feeling and the worst feeling you've ever felt at a sporting event? The best feeling to
3: me, and you would share that feeling, I would think, was doing the Olympic Games in, in nineteen ninety two with the Dream Team, which you were a part of. But uh, I got a chill when. Uh, if you pardon the expression, Mike Fratello, the czar, and I uh, did the the games where you had to qualify. And I believe it was Portland. And when you guys first walked out, it was the greatest group of athletes I thought ever assembled in a team sport. Just seeing the group, Larry Bird, you, uh, Michael, uh, Carl Malone, John Stockton, uh, right down the line, Patrick Ewing, Just seeing that team walk out on the court was, to me, one of the all-time memories I will have. What that meant for international basketball, you see all the international players now uh, who are outstanding. And then seeing you walk the streets of Barcelona, (laughs) followed by thousands of people, I got such a kick out of that. I mean, just the whole moment was wonderful. So that would be number one. Uh, Let's see, the worst I've ever felt about a sporting event.
1: Let me guess, Fertello was involved.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it, most annoying. Let's say, let's say that. <laughs> since you you bring Mike up, who was great to work with and was so prepared, and was on the other hand someone who should not be walking the streets by himself at, at any time. <laughs> but uh, it was the game where Michael. Jordan, went on that three-point barrage against Portland in the NBA Finals, came out early to shoot threes. And then he hit, I believe, six threes in the first half. And he looked over at our broadcast table. We were doing the game for NBC, and it was myself, the czar, and uh, Magic Johnson. And he shrugged his shoulders, which you, you've seen that highlight so many times. Yes, And uh, he was really—he was looking at uh, magic, you know. He was saying, I, "I don't believe I'm doing this." And the czar would said, "No, he's looking at me, you know." I <laughs> <laughs> <He's, laughs> wanted to take credit uh, for this little movement that Mike made. That would—that's probably the saddest moment in a broadcaster ever had, because he still, to this day, feels that he was uh, getting uh, the recognition of. Michael actually knew who he was and cared about it.
2: <laughs> Mark, who was the most important person in your broadcasting career? Who, whether they, you, you wanted to be like them or they gave you your first like big time job. Who's the most, give me a list of the people who have made you one of the best to ever do it.
3: Well, there were two, two announcers. Uh, I, I wanted to be a sportscaster from the third grade on. I remember writing a composition. One of those, what do you want to do when you grow up? So I was actually, you know, practicing off TVs. I would listen on shortwave radio because I did NHL for many years to uh, some of the great announcers in uh, Canada, like Danny Gallivan and Foster Hewitt. And I pick it up on a shortwave radio, if you remember those, you know. Oh, yeah. I uh, i pick up broadcast baseball broadcasts like that. But uh, there was one or two people, one in particular, his name is Marty Glickman, who actually was an Olympic runner. He was on the team in 36 with Jesse Owens in wow. Berlin. He guided me to go to Syracuse University with at the Newhouse School of Broadcasting and, and took an interest in my career. He listened to my tapes. Uh, he hired me out of college and I was his writer and back announcer and he gave me a break. Also, he was doing Knicks radio. He was doing the Giants radio. So he was like the one of the biggest names in New York sports. He also did some network NBA. He would see things, and I'd have listened to my tapes, and he would point out things that I would never have thought of at the time. For example, on radio, he felt I would always say a particular player was driving straight down the lane. I got into this habit, but he said sometimes they go across the lane. He Only he would see that. And there was another announcer by the name of Les Kiter, who worked in Philadelphia. I don't know if he was there when you were there, but he worked in and then he worked in Hawaii, but he was in New York at the time that the Giants and the Dodgers moved away from Brooklyn and from the polar grounds. And he did recreations with a crowd record. And uh, I got to know him. In fact, he gave me a crowd record that I was able to use at home when I did my attempts at recreation. So I, I would say Marty and Les. Les also did many championship boxing Fights. Uh, he also did uh, the Knicks on radio for a while. So those were my influences. People who took extra interest, let's say, in how I was doing, and you know, would review my takes.
1: Yeah. Did you feel like you're in those early days, and and, and as your career progressed, did your style change at all, or what would you tweak, and what you know, how much listening back to games and that kind of thing, and getting feedback made you the announcer that you became. Were there things that you changed?
3: I think a couple of things. I, I, I know the criticism was being from New York and having a bit of a New York accent. And I was very aware of that. I tried to change it up. Still there a little bit, nothing wrong with it. But I, I did pull away from it a little bit when I started at NBC on the network doing you know NFL and NBA, et cetera. I would say otherwise maybe more of a sense of humor and that came because I uh, ended up doing the six and 11 sports at NBC in New York and we did a show called live at five and uh that was a little bit more of a frivolous show and I would do the sports interviews and I I think I it's I always you know believed in humor being involved so it came out then and you know David Letterman was uh across the hall doing his show. And David started asking me to come on with him. And we were showing the wild and the wacky bloopers. Oh yeah. He would call me the emergency guest if somebody could make the show at the last at the last moment. <laughs> or if they had a bit that they needed. And there, there was a battle between Regis Philbin and myself as to how many appearance we, we each made. But that, that <laughs> I think that kind of added to it and it was very It was good for me to you know open up like that, and I was able to you know
2: incorporate that. Do you have any idea how many sporting events you've been to?
3: No, you know I never counted because when I was doing the Knicks and the Rangers, I would miss a lot of games for NBC events, and uh, I would never be one who would have like a consecutive game streak because it's kind of like my my son Kenny who does mostly Rangers National Hockey League, but he misses a lot of games by doing them on NBC and will eventually be doing them on 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 TNT and I, I should warn you he's very annoying and <laughs> <laughs> and I'm only a phone call away if you want you know straighten him out
2: we'll, so, we'll try to steer clear of that yeah <laughs> so Mar, we got a small sample of the fans in the first round the playoffs this year, how crazy it was in New York with the Hawks and the Knicks. Can you give our, our steam room fans, what's it like to be in New York City when the crowd is just going crazy? Uh, I find New York
3: is right on top. I mean, the loudest crowd I ever heard was, I go back to 1970 in my early years when the Knicks did win that first championship, and Willis Reed was not supposed to play. At the last moment, the warm-ups had just finished up. The players were still on the court. And Willis limps out from right below our broadcast booth. Here comes Willis. And the crowd is going wild. And the Lakers just stopped. I remember Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, they stared in disbelief to see that Willis was going to play. And actually, that the crowd went crazy. Uh, it, it, I've never heard that kind of sound. I mean, there've been a lot of loud crowds around uh, the NBA, but I, I never heard uh, that volume, that decibel level.
1: And, you know, one of the things too, Marv, is you know when you talk about memories of the Garden, you know that's one of those places that kind of transcends. The sport and, you know, all, and all sports have them, you know, you can go to a baseball game, but going to one at Wrigley field or Fenway is different. You know, you can go to a golf tournament, but if you go to Augusta national, that's different. You can go to a tennis match, but when you go to Wimbledon, that's different. And it it was, I have such great memories of being there with you uh, in the, in the time on TNT, when we actually had, uh, Wimbledon and, and Jim Huber there as well, you know, and just Jim Courier was there, but that was, that was a special time too. That was, and that was one of those things, Marv, I think when you were like, like, look, I'm known for this and I'm known for this, but here's an opportunity to do this. What was, what are your fondest memories of being able to be at the all England
3: club? Well, the people you mentioned, uh, Jim Courier was so helpful. I had not done any tennis. I played a lot of tennis. But uh, it's a different sport because you don't really talk very much. I think I just had to pull back because, you you know, I'm so used to, particularly when you do radio, doing so much talking, explaining, you know, every play that happens, uh, documenting it. But in tennis, you really, that was the the toughest thing for me is pulling back. You can't really talk much. You see it. Uh, but as you say, it was a wonderful experience. What I remember most is being driven over and listening uh, to the British announcers, who were superb, and calling test matches on radio. It, it was unbelievable. <laughs> that was my that was my my main memory, which also brings me back to my younger days. We played a lot of ping pong. I still do, and uh, my brothers and I. We'd set up on our basement two of us would play and the other would be broadcasting the ping pong match which uh, was a great <laughs> test and skill of talking as fast as possible
1: albert with a forehand albert with the backhand now albert with a forehand Oh, drop shot albert and
3: my mother would be screaming down Says, what are you guys yelling about yeah sure. and then my brother al who had a little bit of a temper would throw his racket against the wall uh so we we had some explosives there also
1: Hey. Chuck, you know what I remember most of all from our time at Wimbledon together with with Marv and Jim Huber and the guys. We had there was always a breakfast uh, in the in the hotel restaurant, and when you're over there, there's always it's kind of like things you don't normally see. But I always I made it a habit of having the like the, the they, like
2: the queen
1: yeah. and the yeah. king. <laughs> no, I, no, I had I, I made it a habit of having <laughs> the waitress bring a, a huge bowl of stewed prunes over to Marv's table every yeah. time oh. I saw him sitting. By yeah, himself. and he had <laughs> uh, this uh, physical uh, look on his face. What is you know? And, and then she pointed me over in the corner. I just give Marv a wave. Yeah,
3: they was, was delicious for Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's some more coming your way.
2: Yeah, well, I got two two questions for you. Number one, what is your favorite sport? And secondly, give me the, because I, I, I'm i not going to say one because I, I don't think that's fair. Give me a list of five of the greatest you've ever seen play broadcast in person.
3: Favorite sport is the NBA. I've always, I mean, from the days I would play, you know, three on three in the schoolyard in Brooklyn, uh, couldn't go left. Still can't go left, Charles. It's
2: very sad. <laughs> Neither can Magic Johnson, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah.
3: But uh, I-, I would say doing NBA basketballs, clearly. And the five greatest athletes that I've ever say broadcast.
2: Yes. With, yes.
3: Well, it would be Michael and Magic. It- there- there's so many more. The- Wayne Gretzky, I do, you know, when I was doing uh, doing hockey. Tom Brady. When I did NFL, yeah. Larry Bird I, I might put in there too. Kareem, I'm cheating. I'm going further than five. <laughs> no, you no. You
1: talk about you talk about an impossible question to answer, yeah. given the number of of you know high profile marquee athletes you've covered. Good gracious, yeah, that's that would be impossible. Hey, where? Okay, where'd yes come from? Gets
3: it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes
1: okay how'd, how'd that start as we as we begin to wind down here
3: we'd be playing ball in the schoolyard and uh there's always someone actually doing doing the play-by-play of the game as we're playing it wasn't me I was actually pretty shy and a friend of mine would mimic a uh, referee at the time in the NBA by the name of Sid Borger Sid had all kinds of Gyrations, and when someone would go to the basket and score and get fouled, he would go, Yes, and it counts. And I just happened to throw in the yes. I remember it was a Nick playoff game against Philadelphia, and Dick Barnett hit one of his fallback baby jumpers from an impossible angle, and I happened to say, Yes, you know. And then I incorporated it every once in a while, and people started to, uh, Repeat it to me if they saw me at the garden. <laughs> and players would say, you know, during warm ups, they look over and say, yes, you know. So I, I would use it for, you know, a shot that's drilled, a three pointer. You don't want to overuse it. So it just became part of the nomenclature.
2: Has a player ever got mad at you? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Coaches, too. Uh, when I did the Knicks, uh, even though I was doing local, uh, I always believed in being objective. And sometimes that was not appreciated, particularly in the Nick down years. So, yeah, that, that happens. I mean, it's okay. I, I I understand. But sometimes you have to ask certain questions. Not not that you're always right in asking those questions. But uh, it, I would say it happened more in basketball where I know coaches and uh General managers were a little upset, who are now my friends. (laughs) Incidentally, uh, I'm very close with several of these people who used to object.
1: Hey, Marv, thanks for taking a chunk out of your day, man, to join us. And uh, thank you. We are uh, appreciative of of the, the work you've done for so, so many years. And good luck the rest of the way, man. I hope they're all long series so we get more games from you.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. That was awesome.
4: Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Come and join us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel on in
2: the steam room.
1: Welcome back inside the steam room. Hope you enjoyed uh, that time with Marv Albert and the stories he had. To yeah. Tell. Unbelievable stories, man. Yeah. And you think about the players whose games he's called and the fights that he's called and, you know, just, Man, that's a body of work.
2: That's the first time somebody say, oh, uh, Mickey Mantle. Like, wow. <laughs> we, we talk about Willie Mays and things like that. You're like, wow, Hank Aaron. I mean, well, you had the pleasure of being around Hank Aaron, but man, just the things he's been around. What a great career. For sure. Uh,
1: we always wrap up the steam room, old school. We go to Chuck's answering machine and only one call this week, but it's a good one. That's what I'm told. Let's hear it.
2: You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America.
4: Hi, my name is Mr. Richardson. I'm a fourth grade African-American teacher on Long Island. The reason I'm reaching out to your show is because I have incorporated so many parts of your show into my daily teaching. And I just wanted to share with you guys and tell you what I do. Basically, I have like a little talk show on Friday called Inside Room 305. Kids get assigned roles. It rotates the kids every week. And they have to write a little paragraph about something we did during the week. So one kid handle the reading, the math, what we did in a couple specials. And obviously, you know, some kids just aren't into reading. So we've incorporated some segments called first of all, which is if you're up in front of the room after you do like what we learned, what the read alouds about this week or what we did in math, you get to do a first of all segment where you get to talk about whatever you want. And these kids, some of them who hate writing, I'm like, Yo, I want to do, I got to do first of all because I want to get up there and talk about Fortnite. For like a minute, or 2K, or cheerleading, or, you know, they're playing an instrument, and then one kid is my EJ, because everyone wants to be the EJ. The EJ is the leader of the show who sits in the middle and, put, okay, now you go, and you go, and you go, like, they run it. So that's the leadership spot, and everyone wants to be, can I be EJ this week? Who gets to be the EJ this week? You know, because they know they're in charge. They get to run it. They welcome everyone in the audience. They close out. We have a little segments. It's so much fun, and it's so funny, because I've had them start. Talk to each other. Don't look at the audience, because I realize... You know, it's it's easier when they're talking to people and they get louder, and it's it's so cool. And we included Shaq and the Fool. We added that on the end, and that was where anyone can get up and talk about something that's ever embarrassed them. I always go with one of my history things, and then they can just laugh at their mistakes and learn from their mistakes. I've stolen so much and put it into my classroom over the years, and I said, oh, let me reach out and just let them know that some of the stuff you do has been used in a certain way. Anyway, again, my name is Mr. Richardson. I'm a teacher out in the end of Long Island. I appreciate it. I love the show. I love having that pod to listen to in the morning when I'm driving my kids everywhere. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye.
2: Wow. Isn't that cool, Chuckster? Uh, That is so cool. You know what's amazing about that, Ernie? I've been a big proponent of the notion that everybody's going to be great at academics uh, is, is a misfortunate way to look at life. And if you're a teacher, like I get a perfect example, my brother, Daryl, who had all type of issues and drugs and died at a young age, you could try to crank up your car. And within five minutes, he could tell you like, well, this is not working. I'm like, dude, how you know that? He said, I don't have any idea how I know that. He had no mechanical training, but he loved reading about cars and how they work and everything. So when you got a teacher like this, who's like, my job is to help you not say do it this way. That that to me uh, he he's a, that's a perfect teacher right there.
1: You know what? Uh, let's talk to the perfect teacher then.
2: Oh, he, are you serious? Yeah,
1: James Richardson is uh, is joining us here on the steam room.
5: How are you guys? Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for this not being a cease and desist operation to shut down what I'm doing in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're okay with it.
1: Hey, we applaud you for this. And it's very cool that you assimilate, you know, these elements of media and that kind of thing into, into connecting with the kids. And I'll, I'll, let me say this, too, that I, I look forward to talking to you because my oldest daughter, Maggie, is also a teacher. Uh, she's a special needs teacher here down here in, in Georgia uh, at Buford High School. My two older sisters were both teachers, so I have nothing but respect and affection for you who have pursued the teaching profession. So thanks for being with us, and, uh, and, and well done, man. This is a very cool way to teach.
5: You know, I'm, I'm always looking ways to make it fun because, you know, kids, I, I teach uh, fourth graders, so they're nine turning ten. It's a nice age group for me because, you know, I have a sense of humor. They can get sarcasm, but they're still scared of their parents. No puberty yet. It's like a nice little window area you can operate <laughs> on. And then, you know, I can make it fun. I can, I can do different things to keep them engaged because, you know, they have the attention span of like a tumbleweed. So they're gone quick. So I know I'm putting on a show. And then I've stolen stuff over the years. or borrowed. Again, no lawsuits. Stolen. Borrowed from various forms of media. I'll see things. I'm like, oh, I can take that. Oh, I can tweet this up. And then your show, just a segment, so I'm thinking, if I can get kids to write about something they're interested in and they get up there, like the first of all segment, they will go off about everything. And it, it was funny because we, we started for a while and some of them wanted to be crystal clear. If I talk about my mom and dad and about how they don't let me do stuff, are you going to tell them? I'm like, I'm not going to say nothing. We're going to, it's like Vegas in here, shut down. Don't worry about it. You say what you want. So they'll get up there. My dad won't let me do, my mom, it's cute, but they, they write it out and then we check it and everything. I added um a Kenny's pictures thing where like someone's segment had to be about stuff we learned during the week. So they'll put something up that we did and they have to talk about the picture in a ditch because they'll be on the smart board behind them. I also do an EJ stat of the day, which is basically as we research nonfiction books, they have to research interesting facts that no one knows. Most of them pull things about animals or whatever. And they have just a bunch of facts that all the kids hear and go, oh, my, that's cool. We didn't know that, you know, this kind of thing. So it's like a lot I've incorporated over the years and, 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 and stolen it. Uh, it's great.
2: They really love it. Well, number one, uh, I'm proud of the fact that we need more black male teachers. So, number one, congratulations on your career choice. That's something that we've, we've been talking about for years. So, number one, I'm proud of you. Who influenced you to be a teacher?
5: I I, I remember coming. I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow up grow up basically i'm out of high school i'm thinking about it. i'm not really sure um i was back and forth with a few things i wanted to be a comedian at one point because i thought i was funny and i was like oh i could do this but then my girlfriend who now is my wife suggested you know you like working with kids because the kids in the neighborhood i always talk to them and play with them and i got along with them and i helped them with things she said oh you should be a teacher and even then i'm like eh, i don't know went to college everything i'm doing the thing and i'm still unsure i went upstate new york because I'm, I'm in new york and college you get opportunity to go into a local school and I practice you know get in front of the room and it just hit the second I got in front of them I was like oh this is it because I knew like I said the sarcasm the jokes I'm putting on a show and I can make it fun and engaging so then I just turned into Mr. Richardson which is like not even me it's like me turned up to six like 10 like I'm just I get wild and but it keeps them engaged and it's just fun and I enjoyed it like I said 21 years I've been doing it I love it I, I really do.
2: Well, I I want to tell you, and I said before I knew you were coming on, nice surprise, you, to me, is what makes teachers special because your job is to find a way to relate to your kids. You know, I had three teachers, Ms. Hills, Ms. Turk, and Miss Robinson, who had a huge effect on my life. But thank you for incorporating our show into your teaching element because you said a little bit earlier, hey, me just telling them something to do, that's not going to motivate them or inspire them. And the way you change your, or did some, did some tweaks to your curriculum, a lot of your kids, man, owe you a lot of success down the line.
5: Right. Thank you. That's, that's nice to say. Thank you for saying that. You know, I just try to, like I said, I just try to make it fun and engaging. I have a good time with the students and just, you know, do the best I can. It, it's hard. It's a tough job. Like you said, takes a, making the connection. I tell New teachers I talk to, it takes as little as noticing what they're wearing. It's like, oh, that's a nice Ninja Turtle shirt. Oh, I like that, and they're hooked. He, can't, you know, he's he's interested in what I like, even though. And it, you know, when I had my own kids who were younger, my youngest is ten now, is actually the same age as the kids in my room. I will, but before I even had kids, I would just turn on like Nickelodeon, Disney, and just try to see what's popping. Like, what what are they into now to come out, tweak that into what I'm doing, so you know it keeps their attention. When you first introduced
1: this, James. To a bunch of fourth graders, are they saying like, look, I don't watch the NBA or I don't know what you're talking about? Or how did you show them that this is what you're, this is the direction you're going?
5: I started doing this four or five years ago, different versions. I've added recent things that you guys have added new stuff for me to take, but <laughs> I used to write plays and have the kids perform it. I do role plays, kids act things out. So we do enough things where they're up out of their seat doing interactive things where this is just kind of the norm for Mr. Richardson's room. So then it was just a simple matter of like, okay, let's do like a talk show. Because sometimes I used to do, I do a talk show called The Morning Show with Mr. Richardson, which is just me in front of the room. I'm teaching a subject, but I pretend it's like a talk show. A kid announces me. I come around the corner. They get to say my first name. <laughs> like, Jimmy Richardson, blah, blah, blah. And then a kid gets to be my guest on the show. And the topic is double digit multiplication. Whatever <laughs> kid sits down, and I usually pick a kid who can just some of them get better at it, but early on, it's the kids who can kind of ad lib. So I don't have to say, you say this and I'll say this and whatever. The point is, I do so much of that. Like the Boston Tea Party we two weeks ago, we snuck through the building and completely trashed the room. Like we threw things around the room, made it look like we were sneaking on the boats. The point is, we've done so much wild things that this isn't that hard of a, yeah, all right, this is what he's doing now. I mean, this fills, this tracks, you know, and then we just kind of jump up into it. So, and then explaining different segments, usually I kind of go over it with him. I'll model it. I'll get in front of the room and I'll vent about stuff that I don't like which will make them laugh because I think of something current about the building that I don't like. Why can't we have this? We should have, you know, more recess and stuff. They get all excited, model the pictures and model the things with um, an embarrassing moment. Like you show it. And then this is something I personally can't start until later in the year because early in the year, they're way too shy for this kind of thing. But by the end of the year, midway, December, January, they're so used to getting up doing this kind of weird stuff. It just fits.
1: Awesome. Hey, well done. Thank you
2: for the support.
1: Yeah, we appreciate the message which sparked this conversation and which gives us an opportunity to give a salute to you and all the educators out there who are showing up every day and stretching your brain to say, okay, how am I going to reach out? So well done, man. We appreciate you spending some time in the steam room.
5: Thank you guys for having me. I got to see Marv. This is like the New
2: York. This is just wow. (laughs) No, thank you, brother. Thank you. Keep doing your thing. I
5: love
1: it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Chuckster wasn't that a great uh, wasn't that a great surprise guest right there it was a fantastic surprise guest and I just want to say number one I love him being a fan of the show and for the support but also man you teachers man I can't imagine what y'all have been through this year trying to make this in- person virtual who got computer access uh, shout out to all the teachers out there man I know it's been a crazy year but I think guys like that. That's that. That's what a teacher is, right there.
1: Yeah, I, I just uh, applaud the creativity and the, uh, you know, just always thinking about how can I make this better, how can I connect uh, even yes. better, and what's yes. gonna and what's gonna resonate with these kids. That's uh, that's what a teacher is. That's a gift, right there. That's for sure. And uh, and for us, the steam room is always the gift that keeps on. Oh, giving. Ernie, can I say you know, one more loyal thing? Steamers. I, no, you can't. You're I not a guest. Say- no, no, you're, I'm no saying, you're done. Uh, you're d- you're no, done no, talking. No, we have Ernie, no more it's, time.
2: It's, no, no, I, I got done. Chuck's been messing with you. No, I know. I know. Ernie, I just want to tell you, man, uh, I've been with you for 20 years. I want to cr- congratulate you on winning the Emmy. Uh, well deserved, man. I, I Thank can't, you. Thank you for all your hard work. I mean, when I'm working with them other two dummies who already been late already. <laughs> nah. We appreciate you being our teacher every night.
1: No, shoot, I appreciate, I appreciate that, Chuckster. And you know that, uh, you know, then the show won two Emmys
2: on. Uh... That was my first of all, again, man, I just want to thank every single person who works on our show to make it a success. I mean, I, uh, so I just want to say thank you to every single person who's cut a piece of tape, uh, who's a cameraman, a director, a producer, uh, the, the, the runners, everybody. So just thank y'all.
1: Yeah. It's a great point of pride for all of us. Anytime the show gets recognized. And so uh, for anybody who works on it in any role, come forward. Everybody's on the same level of the podium, man. It's like yes. we're all a team and nobody's job is more important than anybody else's. And we certainly enjoy the recognition from our peers. And so yes. that's that's very cool. All right. That's it for for this time. We got a we got a few days off from our playoff coverage too, so a couple a little free time for you, Chuckster. And I hope you enjoy it and use it use it to the best possible way.
2: Uh, Fairways and greens, baby. Fairways and greens. (laughs) And from what I hear, that's
1: all you've been about lately.
2: (laughs) <laughs> all right y'all thanks for listening to the steam
1: room it has been our pleasure and uh spread the word we need as many loyal steamers as we can and we hope that uh this has maybe just been a a little bright spot in your day maybe you know that, it might be a stretch but maybe you enjoyed it so thanks for listening we'll see you next time right chuck yes sir later